hello, hello, all you beautiful people. My name is Amber Enerson. And I'm Kelsey Enerson. And this is our podcast, You Are the Alchemist. In this week's episode, we're going to do a continuation of how trauma is stored in the body. And we're going to go over a little bit about the heart center and how impatience and love are the emotions that will primarily affect the heart center and then how that can translate into your everyday battle with mental health and different things like that. And we were talking before we started this episode and uh, we couldn't decide if we wanted to um, combine the holistic approach as well as scientific approach. So Amber's going to give you guys a little information on the holistic side of things, on how the elements can affect us. But if you're not into that kind of stuff, there's also a scientific basis behind what we're going to be talking about today. Okay. So to start with, like, the elemental part of it and the different things that affect that, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the air element And the basis for this, the primary basis for this is that all of the elements have different emotions and personality traits that are affected by the emotions. And then sometimes you might need more air or you might need less air or you might need more earth and and less earth. And that's kind of how the elements translate into mental health and a lot of what the psychiatrists and psychologists say and different doctors say. And can you give some examples of what you were saying about if you need more air, what you can, what activities you can do? Okay, so if there's like an imbalance in your air, that's going to directly affect your heart. So that's kind of why we're introducing that one. And then to bring that air back into balance, if you need more air, you know, any type of play or laughter, they do have like laughter meditations you can do. Um, anything that's fun or just kind of lightens your spirit. Whether that's, you know, running around, playing games, spinning in circles, looking at the sky, things that normally you would have done as a child. But then once we get into adulthood, we think that it's not okay for us to do those things anymore. And that will actually increase your level of air. And if you have too much air, that's when you'll start feeling contracted. Like your body will feel really tight. You'll feel like you can't really express yourself. You'll have troubles with communication. And then if you need to reduce that air, then you would do things like do grounding or meditations or taking a walk in nature. And that'll bring that air back into um, balance, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then as far as the, the psychiatrist that we're referring to is Dr. Rady, who is a licensed psychiatrist in... Um, I can't remember what company she works for, but she was talking about how your heart is also is affected by like type A personalities. It's affected by grief, loss. It's affected by impatience. Like if you're trying to just rush through life and you just want everything at once. Can you give us an example of a type A personality for those of us that can't? No. Oh yeah. <laughs> So a type A personality is like your typical overachiever. Like a lot of type A personalities are CEOs, they're bosses, they're managers, they're supervisors, they're chronic overachievers who are always trying to get to the next level. And they always think that there's somewhere else that they have to be rather than just being okay in the moment. Like even if they achieve something, they still think that there's more that they need to achieve. 
Okay. Some people don't know the different types, so I just wanted to... Yeah, that, yeah, I get that. You're talking uh, talk, shop talk. <laughs> That's true. But I am, I was a chronic type A personality. I think I'm a little more balanced now than I used to be. But a lot of time, the type A personality is a good, good quality, but it also adds a lot of stress and a lot of cortisol. And the stress and cortisol levels are actually what affects your heart. And your heart will feel contracted and you won't be able to breathe as easily because it actually um, closes up the blood vessels that allow oxygen to flow through your body. So do a lot of type A personalities suffer from anxiety? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they also suffer from heart conditions, accelerated heart rate, which we all know I had for quite a while. Yeah. It's gotten a little bit better now. It's still a little accelerated, but much healthier than it used to be. Um, And I think a lot of what we have to understand when it comes to the heart is that love is one of the most beautiful emotions that you can feel, but it also is one of the ones that hits you the hardest. And it's really tricky because the grief and things that happen when you lose something that you love or lose someone that you love or you aren't doing something that you love, like as far as your career or whatever, that grief comes in cycles. So you could be okay for a long period of time, and then all of a sudden it hits you out of nowhere. And then you'll be okay again, and then it'll hit you out of nowhere. It's like a spiral. It's not like a linear path to healing. So, so that explains why, like, past trauma can come up at any, any time, basically. Yeah, because that is all, like, those memories are all stored in your body. So anything in the environment, even if you don't consciously recognize it, like say your first girlfriend or boyfriend that broke your heart had a red car and then you see a red car out in the world, even though you have moved past that loss and you have made peace with whatever happened, that red car could still trigger you and you won't even know that it's triggered you. A huge thing for me is music. If I hear a song, I can usually put myself back into a specific time time frame and that song creates well songs create good memories bad memories painful memories but like there's this song that every time I hear um it was the reason by Hoobastank yeah forever ago I don't know if anyone (laughs) even knows that song but I was listening to that song when I got a phone call that someone I uh very much cared for and loved passed away and uh, anytime I hear that song, I immediately think of that person. And I I remember that pain yep. when I hear that song. And it's music is a huge thing. But I understand what you're talking about, too. Like, I can smell something, and it'll take me to a flashback yep. of, you know, a, a really bad time in my life. There's, like, specific scents that I I can't smell without feeling that trauma in my heart. Right. And you have that self-awareness. So you recognize that, but a lot of people don't have that self-awareness. So they'll just feel like this intense pain and they have no idea why they felt that pain. Yeah. Because a lot of times that stuff hasn't been processed or it hasn't been recognized as something that still affects them. Or it's been something that they repressed for so long that the only way it comes up is subconsciously. Yeah. And it, can, then, it can be really tricky too, because like, I'll just be sitting around doing nothing. And I don't know if like, 
the atmosphere changes or I don't even know, but some, some random memory will get triggered that I don't even remember having. And then it'll come back to me and it'll just be this whole process that I have to work through again. Yeah. And, uh, there actually is a technique I think that psychologists can use. Uh, e- e- M- uh, oh, EMDR. Yeah. EMDR, and they can try to like reroute. Or maybe it's brain spotting. But there is something, I'll have to do some more research on that, but they can try to reroute those triggers. I don't know if it works for everyone. Yeah, um, that's. But they specifically expose you to a trigger and then they try to reroute your brain. That is, uh, I know what you're talking about. It's like a, um, it's a form of behavioral therapy where they will, like if somebody is terrified of an elevator, they will put you in an elevator to take you back. And then when you come out of that elevator safely, that reroutes your brain. Yeah. What I'm talking about is like specifically, like it would just happen like in a psychiatrist's office. Oh, like they, I, I'm not really sure. We'll, we'll do some more research yeah. and try to get back with you. I know there is EMDR though, which is also very useful in trauma, especially with PTSD yeah. because EMDR is a way to passively work through those things. So you don't have to consciously be aware of what's happening, but it still allows those feelings and those traumas to be released you without have actually to be willing to give yourself over to that though. Yes. Because, like I, I've done EMDR and I, was resisting it because I didn't want to think about things. Yep. So that's something that you don't want to get into unless you're absolutely prepared to surrender yourself. Right. And that is where type A personalities (laughs) and control doesn't work well because in order to fully give yourself over, you have to fully give up control. And a lot of people are terrified of what that could look like. No. (laughs) but that also causes drama because there are so many things in your life that you have no control over absolutely absolutely but and a lot of what one of the things that was in some of the research I was doing on this is that sometimes you have to just let your heart shatter because if you let your heart shatter then it hones the resilience that you're going to be able to use And through your brokenness, it's actually where you can recalibrate and understand that your wholeness as a person is unconditional. It's not based on something external from you. As much as I hate to say it, I've experienced this a few times. Oh, me too. A lot of people have, but I'll go back to about a year ago. Actually, um, I just passed July 22nd was my one year since my uh, suicide attempt. And, um, you know, I thought it was going to be a lot harder to get through, but I think I've done a lot more work than I realized. Yeah. But in that time period, my everything shattered in me. Like You I, have to. I, but, and I, I'm trying to say this in a way that's not promoting self-destruction no (laughs) obviously I don't I'm not saying do that but when my entire world fell apart and I was admitted to a psychiatric facility I was held there for 12 days um or 14 days yeah um unwillingly I did not want to be there but um 
that after I got out, that was, I guess, my uprising or my Phoenix. What what Phoenix you're what you're talking ashes. about yeah. is like your whole world shatters, your heart shatters. I had never had a heartbreak so terrible, and just and it was many things. It wasn't one thing broke my heart. It was my life was just unraveling in mm-hmm. the physical, mental, emotional areas. Everything that I thought could go wrong at that moment was going wrong. And, um, but I've come back stronger. I mean, as you guys have seen, obviously, uh, through this podcast and just through my daily life, I, I've come back stronger from it. And when I was in that heartbreak, I obviously, I didn't think that I would be here now. Right. I, I never thought that that heartbreak could produce something good, but it really helped wake me up and uh, get my life back on track. It's because you finally let go of control. You, well, you, <laughs> you didn't have a choice. I did not have a choice. You had to. So we're, we're not, and we're not recommending that you do this on your own either. No, no. Like she had support while she was going through this and. And I'm not recommending destroying your life. I don't want it to come across that way. No. And Obviously not promoting self-harm. No, never. In any In any sense of the word. But I'm saying that if that had not happened and I didn't fully, like if I just let myself wallow in that heartache, I would, I would have never been the person that I've, that I'm becoming. I still have a lot of work to do. Right. But. And she sought out resources too. Like we're not saying you have to do this in a psychiatric facility and that's the only way to let go. Hell no. <laughs> no, that's not recommended. Zero stars. Zero out of 10. Don't do it. Don't ever go to a psychiatric facility. <laughs> they will fuck you up. Like, no. <laughs> but it was more, that was the turning point where she realized that she could do this. That she could rebuild her life. And it did give me the resilience that you were talking about. Right. Unfortunately, I am extremely resilient. And I, like, I'm glad I'm resilient. But at the same time, I wish I hadn't gone through so many things to make me resilient. Mm-hmm. But surviving that trauma, all the trauma in my life has made me really resilient. And I have been able to pursue my life in an amazing way because of that resilience. Right. And you've been able to release. That was your release of all of the things that kept you in balance. When you finally just let all of that go and you let it fall apart. That was when you released all of the traumas that had been stored in your body. Well, I think that's where the type A personality comes in because I thought I had control over my life. Right. And as soon as everything started going out of my control, my career, my health, my marriage, my like mental health, physical health. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like everything just spiraled and everything was out of my control and I couldn't handle it. Like I, I didn't know how to go to the next step because I was in chronic pain. I was completely shut off emotionally. I was, you know, not to mention I was on really terrible medication and that will play a part. Um, mm-hmm. But I had absolutely nothing in my control. I lost my career because of my physical health. I spent two years in welding school and I can't be a welder. So it's just that whole process of losing control 
it does grip you and you can either make that decision to lie down and surrender and, and just give up, which I started to, and then something, you know, something happened. woke you up. Yeah. And I woke up and I realized just because I don't have control doesn't mean I can't live. Right. And that's where the feeling that wholeness is unconditional comes in. Yeah. Because once you get to that point where, yes, you surrender, you surrender to the fact that you don't have any control, but you don't surrender to the fact that you can't live if you don't have control. Right. So you have to give yourself over to that and understand, like, hey, I don't have control of this situation. I mean, that's where I'm at right now. I don't have control over most of what's going on in my life right now. But it's a perfect opportunity to build whatever I want out of life. And, and we're not saying you don't have a right to break down because, oh, my God, I I broke down so many. It was a day-by-day basis. I was, yeah. you know, one day I was just sobbing and I didn't feel like I could figure anything out. And I never thought I was going to be better again. I I was looking for so many answers. And then the next day I was doing better. I was building mm-hmm. my confidence. I was building my support. I was working on my journaling. I was working on my, on myself. So we're not saying like, Oh, just because you don't snap right back that no. like, you're not resilient. That's you not, can't snap yeah. right back. Like the breaking down. Yeah. You have to grieve your own heartache. Yep. And the breaking down is vital. Like, Crying is one of the best ways to release emotion. Yeah. Even if you don't know what you're crying over, crying is one of the best ways to release emotion. Um, there's a rage room in Peru that is also another great aspect or I area. That. I need to go there. Yeah. <laughs> after after you're all healed from your neck, we'll go for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, because you don't want that to hold no, you back. That would be bad. <laughs> all right. I think I've gotten you off track of your. No, this all it all, all goes okay. hand in hand. Right. So this is actually, it's keeping us on track. So when your heart is balanced and your love is balanced and you're not overtaken with impatience and everything is the way that it's supposed to be, it actually will help with um, your mind because your heart is actually in control of your mind. It rules the mental function, patterns, loops, and inspirations. So like any type of creativity and stuff is actually ruled by your heart and your heart sends the messages to your brain and then your brain is able to make those creativity things come into reality. So when your heart is in balance, then your mental state is going to be much more clear. You'll be able to communicate effectively with each other, with other people, with yourself. There'll be a direct line between what your heart knows and what your mind knows. And it's almost like those two things will be in harmony. So that's why keeping the heart in balance is important. And then it also will just give you an overall sense of like unity and peace and not feeling like you're constantly fighting. If it is imbalanced, though, um, your mind will often feel like it's spinning, which we've both experienced that plenty of times where your mind just feels like it's spinning out of control. Uh, You could experience headaches or dizziness as far as like physical symptoms of your heart being out of balance. Um, A lot of times you'll speak in a really fast tone, which is something that I do almost (laughs) all the time anyways, but I guess your heart's out of balance. I guess so. And then often like 
one of the things that you'll notice with your thoughts is like what most people correlate with ADHD is actually also part of the heart being imbalanced because your thoughts will jump from topic to topic without stopping. So that's often a sign that you have too much air or too much uh, energy in your heart. Often. 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 Yeah. Do you pronounce the T? Yes. Often. Often. I don't think that. I don't think that's right. <laughs> I think the T's silent. Well, I don't. I don't know. It's supposed to be in there often, uh, often, often. No, often sounds weird. You talk weird. You talk weird. Raise you. I don't know. I was raised by wolves. Ugh. Felt wolves. like it sometimes. Wolves and wild animals. <laughs> it felt like it. <laughs> uh, and then other symptoms. If you have not enough air or not enough energy in your heart, or like a lot of times when you have repressed emotions, or you're not facing things that have caused an emotional reaction, then you'll get chest tightening, you'll get difficulty breathing, you could have upper back and shoulder pain, Uh, you could have issues with your kidneys and adrenals, and then a lot of the emotions that you would be feeling if your heart is out of balance is like envy, jealousy, Feelings of inadequacy, feelings of not being enough, um, lack of integrity is also another sign. So anxiety. Yeah. Well, lack of integrity is not. No, I anxiety. meant like the other. Because like anxiety, whenever I have anxiety, I feel it in my heart. Yep. Me too. You know, and that test tight, tightening, and you know, I get yeah. really. Well, my shoulders are always tense, but um, you get that like gripping feeling in your in your shoulders. And, like, you kind of start shrugging. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because, like, there's so much tension. But, yeah. Okay. So, a lot of the feelings associated with anxiety is, like, okay. So, the air element, like we talked about in the beginning, is associated with your mental health. It's associated with mental health, your thoughts, your feelings, that kind of thing. So, that's why when you have an imbalance in your heart, it honestly feels like there's not enough air. Like, that's why yeah, your heart you tightens, because like, you can't, you can't get a whole breath. breath. Yeah. Yeah. You start hyperventilating. Yep. Yeah. And that was always what happened with me, too, is, and, like, sometimes people feel anxiety in other parts of their body. Sometimes well, yeah. you feel it in your stomach. Sometimes you feel it in oh, your yeah. leg. Sometimes I get anxiety so bad that I... But that's also why we're going through the different body parts and how the body parts are affected, because if you're feeling anxiety in your heart... It probably is anxiety associated with love or impatience, like lost loves or lack of love for yourself, lack of love for others, not feeling loved, not feeling accepted. Like that would be where those or not feeling like you're enough, which is usually what my anxiety was caused by. I usually felt like I can't keep up with everything I have to do. And that is based in not feeling like you're enough. So if you're feeling anxiety in your stomach, then whenever we go over the emotions that affect your stomach, then it could be related to those emotions versus love or impatience. I'm going to say fear might be one of those. Fear is your kidneys. Oh, I get a stomach ache when I have fear. Yeah. But but that could also, there is, I don't know, we'll go over it in one of the other episodes. Okay. Because I can't remember what it is because your stomach does have a specific reaction. Okay. It has a specific, and it might be related to worry. Which is different than fear. You know what? You're right. Yeah. Yeah, because when I'm worried about something, you get like worried. Yeah. 
the rock in your stomach. Dude, I could. Sometimes I got to run to the bathroom. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> I get so much anxiety in my stomach. And that's usually related to worry. Yeah. And You're then right. anxiety right. in your heart is related to love. Anxiety, like if you feel it in your lower back, that's going to be related to your kidneys, which is going to be related to fear. It just, Maybe I just don't get afraid of things. Well, you face down some very severe personal demons. <laughs> so I think there's very little in this world I really don't fe- that could actually make you afraid. The only time I feel fear is if something, if I think about something happening. Which is love. And that's why you feel it in your heart. Okay. All right. Because love is part of your heart. And then when you're you're afraid of the future, that has to do with impatience. And anxiety about the future is going to deal with impatience because things don't make sense. So you're going to feel that in your heart. And control. Yep. All right. So what are some of the scientific methods? Okay. So one of the scientific methods of course, is going to be meditation, like 100% meditation. Most psychiatrists and psychologists will suggest that. So I guess it can be dual. It's both, yeah. Well, if you look at the counseling profession now, the main difference between the counseling profession, psychiatry, and psychology. So the main difference between counseling and psychology is that counseling is an integrated mixture of holistic and scientific methods yeah because when I started seeing my psychiatrist he asked me if I had tried meditation right he asked me if I had tried talk therapy right yes you know he was asking me all these things because he didn't want to medicate me if if the other if, things if the other could things work worked, but y'all I need medicated <laughs> <laughs> and that usually comes down to like your chemical yeah. makeup and your biology because sometimes stuff is environmental. And if you take those moments of reflection, like five minutes a day even, to just sit and be with your thoughts and meet yourself where you're at, your mental health will severely improve. Because that's all. That's what I started doing. I just started yeah. taking a few minutes a day to just sit and allow my brain to just be. And that's another thing for people that have trouble letting go of control because I had an issue with meditation because I'm such a control freak that you know I I've actually started meditating the past few days uh trying to like release pain for chronic pain I've been doing meditations for chronic pain yeah but it is so hard for me to get in tune because I don't want to let like I don't I I have a hard time letting go of that control of like what my brain is thinking and I just keep you know I have to reroute to the meditation multiple times which is normal that's completely normal when you first start out meditation most people will stop meditation because they think oh I just can't do this when that happens but that's completely normal I've been meditating for over a year and a half and I still have to reroute sometimes like it's not as bad as it used to be yeah But your brain is not used to just being still. And imagine... I think that's part of the fight or flight. Yeah. uh, In us, too. Well, your brain is there to look for solutions to problems. Your brain wants problems to solve. So if there is not a problem to solve, it will create problems to solve. That's true. Because that's (laughs) that's the only function your brain has. It's to solve problems to keep you alive. 
And if there's not a problem presented to you, that's why a lot of people are addicted to stress. Because and I, I'm addicted to stress. I can 100% say that because I have the least amount of stress I've ever had in my life. And I still will find things to be stressed out about. Yeah. Because your brain looks for problems to solve. So it's normal. But by giving yourself five minutes, your brain has time to recalibrate and like process what has happened. If you don't give yourself any time throughout the day, your brain never has a chance to process what has happened until you go to sleep. And then a lot of times you'll have sleeping issues because your brain is trying to process an entire day's worth of things that it's it's not supposed to process that much at once, which is why a lot of people can't sleep. That's me. But um, additionally, besides like just medication or journaling or meditation, one of the things that they recommend is meeting yourself where you're at and just accepting that something's off, something is out of balance, and that it's okay for that to happen because your body is not going to be balanced all the time. Your brain's not going to be balanced all the time. And that acceptance takes the pressure off. And like if you think about it, when you feel pressure to get something done, it affects your entire body. Your entire body is tightened until you get that done, which puts you in a contracted state. And that's when those emotions get stored. That energy gets stored. Mm-hmm. Because your body is so tight and contracted, there's no way to let anything go because you're holding on to something so tightly. It's like if you're holding a rope, you don't let go of that rope because you don't want whatever's on the end of that rope to fall. And if you sit there for hours and hours and hours holding that rope, your hand eventually is going to cramp up. Your hand eventually is going to be in severe pain. Mm -hmm. It's going to eventually get to the point where it can be locked in that position because it's in a contracted position for so long. That's the same thing that happens to your heart. It's the same thing that happens to your organs. It's the same thing that happens to your brain. If you stay in a constant state of stress and control and trying to make sure that everything outside of you is exactly the way you need it to be, eventually your body is going to cramp up in that position. So when you give yourself that space to say, you know what, something's off. I'm not feeling okay, but you know what? It's okay. And I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to process it. However, I need to go. Your body automatically expands. Everything releases those things that were tight and clenched and being forced to stay in that position can now open up just like your blood vessels. Which is like where you can use like breathing, breath work, breathing exercises. That's one of the first things that any of my therapists have ever said is if, if you're starting to feel overwhelming anxiety, start doing breath work. Yep. To just release. I have to all the time. Release the stress. I have to reset my nervous system that way probably four or five times a day. And I have very little stress compared to what I used to have in my life. And I still have to do that because. Because your body lived in stress for so long that you're still geared that way. Yeah. Or even like, I'm sure even though I've been working on myself for two and a half, almost three years, I'm sure there's still things that I don't remember, things that I haven't processed, things that I haven't worked through. Those things still come up. Well, the work is never done. No. You can always better yourself. You can always accept yourself more. You can always forgive yourself more. That's a huge thing is forgiving yourself 
or things that weren't in your control that you've always brought on to yourself. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was the next point. Oh, (laughs) yeah, I'm smart. You see? (laughs) Um, Forgiveness for yourself and forgiveness of others is another very important thing. So even if you never, ever send it, write a letter to someone that has hurt you, even if you never send it. Write a letter to someone that has hurt you. Put in that letter everything that they did that hurt you and why it hurt you and how it's unfair and how it sucks and how it never should have happened. And let all of those emotions flow onto the page so that you can then forgive them and move on. Because forgiveness doesn't affect them. Not forgiving them for what has happened doesn't affect them at all. The only person it affects is you. Like that person didn't want your forgiveness or they would ask for it. So holding on to that lack of forgiveness isn't going to do you any good and they don't care. So it will just create less space for love if you don't forgive. Right. And you have to forgive yourself too, because too often we blame ourselves. Like Kelsey said, we blame ourselves for things that were out of our control and that we didn't have any control over that wasn't our fault, but we still blame ourselves for those things. I've blamed myself for years for being taken advantage of at 14 years old by an adult man. Yeah. And I blame myself. I said, I, I always said like, well, I agreed to it. I, I was stupid enough to believe it. I was, you know, I was naive. It was my fault. And not, it I wasn't. I was weak. You know? It wasn't. None and it's of taken that was me, your fault. I'm still working through that. I still can't accept that sometimes, but it's a process and it might be a lifelong process for a lot of us. That's also another point. Damn, I am fucking good. So the next point after that. I'm not looking at her notes, people. No, she's not not. at all. I can attest to that. She's not looking at the notes. I can't even read her damn handwriting. (laughs) It says, life is a process of moving through layers and obstacles and lessons that we are meant to experience. And it's never over. Like, there is no destination you're trying to get through. You're going to be moving through this your entire life. There's always going to be things that come up. But the key to that is trust. You have to approach your healing from a place of trust and trusting yourself to hold that space for you, trusting that you have the capability to get through these things. Even if it doesn't feel like you can, you have to trust yourself. So that is another recommendation. A practice to learn to trust yourself is something as simple as saying you're going to drink a bottle of water every day and you drink a bottle of water every day and you don't let yourself down. You drink that bottle of water every day or making your bed every day. But make sure you're drinking more than one bottle. Yes, yes. You, you need like... Jeez, Amber. I'm sorry. I'm not a dietitian or a doctor. <laughs> well, hydration helps the entire body. Hydration helps everything. That's true. That's a valid point. So, yes. Stop drinking so much damn iced coffee. I haven't been drinking iced coffee. I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to all of you out there that are listening. But it is important that you learn to trust yourself because so often not trusting often. Not trusting ourselves is what causes a lot of the issues because we don't trust ourselves to make decisions. We don't trust ourselves to do what's best for us. We don't trust ourselves to make it through the tough things. 
So that's also an important uh, tip that you can do. I know that this podcast is going on, but the whole trust yourself thing, I'm actually working on that in therapy currently because I have fears of not being able to protect my daughter. And from, well, life in general, you guys know how the world is. Um, Mm -hmm. But one of the things my therapist said is, you're not trusting yourself to be able to protect her because you weren't protected as a child. Yep. And that's huge. It really is. And it's not, there was an attempt to protect as children. There's only so much that your parents can do. Right. And I don't blame my parents. I don't think that they are the reason that things happened to me. They were doing the best that they could. But the people that we were around did not protect us. The nope. people that we were supposed to trust did not protect us. Nope. The, the environments, the churches, the the people affiliated with the churches, the schools, those people we were supposed to be able to trust, and we trusted them to take care of us and protect us, and they didn't. That has been one of my biggest struggles, honestly, too, is that we couldn't trust people's intentions. We couldn't trust their purposes. We couldn't trust what they told us. We were children and we should have been able to trust that somebody would have stepped in when things got out of hand and nobody ever did. Right. So if you're having trouble trusting yourself, try to look back into your past and figure out why you're having trouble trusting yourself because it, it does incorporate, I I do have a hard time with it still, but it does give you some of that, like, I don't even know how to phrase it, but it gives you something to work off of. Like I was, I'm not that person. Right. I can trust myself because I am not that person. It's a foundation. Yeah. Because everything, no matter what, you have to get down to the foundation of the belief system. You have to get down to the foundation or the origin of the thoughts that are in your head. You have to get down to the foundation or the belief system that has led you to this point in your life because everything has a foundation and everything has a basis. You don't feel this way or function this way because there was no reason for it. Like there's always a reason, but you have to be willing to explore those reasons. Yeah, exactly. But overall, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good week. Yeah. I think that gives the heart is really one of the most important organs it does obviously yeah and not just emotionally like no I'm talking physically you can't live without your heart no your heart and your brain you need both of those because the heart controls what the brain thinks pretty much and the brain controls whether or not the heart gets blood so (laughs) you kind of need both of them to be working stay healthy stay healthy (laughs) emotionally mentally physically all of the above especially in 90 degree weather Make yeah. sure you're drinking your water because that's important. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for this week, that's pretty good. Anything else, girls? No, I'm done. All right. We will talk to you guys next time.